You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. You know, even if you aren't an Anglophile, I'm sure that you've heard the news of uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth a couple of weeks ago. And maybe if, like me, I imagine that some of you probably even watched her funeral this past Monday. And if you did, uh, we were in good company. There's a lot of numbers being batted around but about how many people watched it. But one thing that we know is true is that it's one of uh, the most watched events in recent televised history. And you really, you know, it wasn't just the Brits that were watching this. Reportedly, millions upon millions of people from all around the globe tuned in to this funeral. And if you watched it, you actually got a sense of this because it was an incredibly diverse cast of mourners Reportedly, there were up to 500 foreign dignitaries there, people who went from their home country to come and to share uh, their people's sentiments in mourning with the people of Britain and with the royal family. And though I imagine you didn't get an invitation to the Queen's funeral, I just assumed that mine got lost in the mail, the reality is that I think we all share something in common with these foreign dignitaries. You see, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about uh, sharing in Jesus' ministry of reconciliation. And he says this, We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. So if you're in here today and you're a Christian, Paul says that you are an ambassador for Christ. Much like those foreign dignitaries at the queen's funeral, you are a dignitary representing the kingdom of God to the world. Now last week, Eric continued our sermon series on being sent out by showing us how the only proper place to start a discussion about mission and being sent out is to discuss how Christ is sent out to us. As one author they quoted put it, The front line of missions is your heart. Well, this week I actually want to kind of continue that train of thought by discussing how when Jesus comes into our heart, in other words, when we're united to Christ, we share in his sentness. So just as he was sent into the world by the Father, so too we are sent out to the world by him. So to talk about this, if you would, please open uh, up your Bibles to Acts 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. That's a lot of ones. Acts 1, 1 through 11. It's also in your worship guide if you don't have a Bible with you. In the, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, so this afternoon, I want us to consider two very basic, simple questions. Why are we sent out to the world? And how are we sent out to the world? Why and how? So let's start with why. When I was a missionary in Romania for a few years, one of the, most, one of the questions I got asked the most by locals was, why are you here? You see, a lot of them really wanted to visit or even live in the United States. So the idea that I would leave behind the U.S., which was to them this kind of promised land, and come to what they considered an Eastern European backwater, that just seemed outlandish and crazy to them. And though I really loved my time in Romania, and even still I I deeply miss it in a lot of ways, there were a lot of times in which I would, you know, be up at 3 a.m. laying in bed thinking the same thing. Why am I here? Why is this redneck Mississippi boy in Romania right now? And, I, you know, maybe if, we're, if you're honest, I imagine that you might have those same, that same question surrounding this topic. You might be thinking, why exactly am I sent out to the world? Am I not already doing enough? Is it, is it not good enough for me to just kind of be sent out to where I already am? Why am I sent out to the world? Well, I think that today's text provides us with a few answers. And they come as we consider the intersection of three major things that are going on in this passage. The ascension of Christ, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the commissioning of the apostles. So let's look at those in turn. First, let's consider the ascension of Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, we learn that God is not just the creator of all things, but rather he's called the king over all things. He's creation's ruler or sovereign. And actually, we heard this uh, in the call to worship earlier from Psalm 24. We said, the, word, the world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. 
Now, King David wrote that psalm because he knew that ultimately his being king wasn't about him. His rule was derivative of God's rule. His rule was subject to God's rule. And, you know, at least in, at least in some kind of rudimentary way, he understood that his rule as king was like a signpost pointing to this truer and better king that God would send. And then, after we leave the Psalms, we get into the prophets. And the prophets really hone in on this anticipation of a truer and greater coming king. And again, we heard it uh, from Daniel 7, which George read for us earlier. Listen again to a portion of it. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there comes one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. This passage, of course, from Daniel 7 is actually referring to the ascension. Uh, One commentator said that, you know, Acts 1 gives us the view below the clouds of Jesus' departure. And Daniel 7 gives us the view above the clouds of Jesus's arrival. And what we see in the ascension is that it is the vindication of Jesus as king over all creation. Lest you think uh, that death was going to keep him down, he's not only resurrected, but then he ascends back to his heavenly throne to rule over all things. Now what does this have to do with our being sent out to the world? Well, in the words of Abraham Kuyper, it means that there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who's sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There's no part of human existence over which Christ does not cry, mine. So then, the mission of the ascended Jesus is to bring all things under his rule and reign and apply to the, all the corners of the globe the benefits of his redemptive work in the cross and resurrection. But the question is, how exactly is he going to do that? And I think that takes us to this next major part of the passage, which is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Because what we see in this is that Jesus isn't going to do this alone. Rather, he's going to do it through his people, the church. In, in, you, you know, in, the, in giving the Holy Spirit to his followers, Jesus is uniting them. He's uniting us, not just to him, but also to his mission. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, it affects a union between us and Jesus that's so vital and so real that it can be said that we truly participate or share in him and his life. You know, Jesus describes this in John 15 when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He's talking here about that dynamic of us being united to him through the Spirit. And if you were to, you know, walk around the fan and look at some of the houses where the vines had grown up the side of the house, 
if you, to, if you were to look at the vine, you wouldn't even distinguish between the vine and the branches because there's such a, a close organic union between those two. Well, the same is true between us and Jesus. And that's why Paul can say in Galatians 2.20, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, he's not being sentimental, he's not being metaphorical, but rather he's saying that through the indwelling of the Spirit, there is such a real participation in the life of Christ that it's like the union of a vine and a branch. You can't tell the two apart. If you're a Christian here, that's true of you and Jesus as well. So if our union with Christ is how we share in things like his righteousness and his status, his sonship, his status as the uh, child of God, if, if the union with him is how we share in those things, it's also how we share in his mission. We've been enjoined to his work of extending his rule and reign to every corner of the globe. And you know, this is actually a renewal and an expansion of the original vocation that God gave humanity through Adam and Eve. He told them that they were to subdue the world and to fill it and to cause it to thrive and prosper under their hand. Well, in Christ now, Jesus tells the church that we are to act as his vice regents. We're to subdue the world with the gospel. We're to fill it with believers, and we're to tend to the church so that it thrives. Now, this brings me to the third thing that's going on in this passage, and that's the commissioning of the apostles. So having united his followers to his mission through the Holy Spirit, Jesus then commissions them to continue the work that he had done while he was on earth. And to understand this, we need to step back a little bit from the passage to understand the context uh, for what's going on here. You see, the the book, Acts, Acts of the Apostles, it's a companion volume to the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the physician, wrote both of these. This is why if you read a lot of biblical theology texts, they'll say Luke-Acts. They just hyphenate them because they're they're telling one story. And we actually see this in the very first verse of our text today, the opening of Acts. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the first book he's referring to, Luke is referring to the gospel that he wrote. And then he's addressing it to Theophilus in Acts, but that's also who he addressed uh, in his gospel. So they're uh, they're one unit telling one big story. But the important thing I want you to pay attention to here is that Luke says that in his gospel, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that he began to do and teach. So the implication here is that Jesus' work and ministry isn't finished in his ascension. Rather, it's, it's kind of the beginning of it. Because what we're going to see is that through the power of the Spirit, so Jesus has accomplished redemption through the cross and resurrection, but now through the power of Spirit, he's applying that that redemption to the world through his people, the church. 
we are carrying on the work that Jesus did while he was on earth. Now, why do I say all of this? Well, I say all of this because it's so easy for us to think that, you know, the, the idea of being sent out to the world doesn't apply to us. Like so much of modern life, we have compartmentalized and professionalized mission such that it doesn't apply to us anymore. I mean, uh, you know, think about, think about, you know, missions is one committee among many in a church. If you go to a church's website, missions is just kind of one of the things in a drop-down menu among the rest of the ministries of the church. We also even have a, a professional class now of people who we see as the sent-out ones, and that's missionaries or pastors. In many ways, we're like the apostles in this passage, just kind of standing there, looking up into the sky, asking Jesus when he's going to do something, when in reality, he's looking at us and saying, I'm giving you the work that you are wanting me to do. So what I've tried to briefly convince you of here is that mission is central to the Christian life. As one theologian wrote, the church exists for mission like a fire exists for burning. By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you, you have been united to the mission of Christ. And now he's commissioned you as a vice regent to rule in his stead until he returns. And so I wonder, have you submitted, have you submitted to this calling in your life? When you think about your life, when you think about your work, do you see it through the prism of the mission of Christ? Extending his rule and reign throughout the world. Inviting people in to the good news of the gospel. Are you sent out? Now, having established that uh, why we're sent out, I want to briefly discuss how we're sent out. In other words, I want to talk about the manner in which Jesus sends, sends us out to do his work. And I think in this text we see a lot of things, but I just want to draw attention to two of them. We're sent out in the power of the Spirit, and we're sent out to the ends of the earth. So first, first we're sent out in the power of the Spirit. We see in verse 4 here that Jesus instructs the apostles to not leave Jerusalem until uh, Pentecost, when the, when the Spirit has come upon them. And you know, this is interesting when we hold it up against the end of the passage, which seems to contain so much urgency. Jesus ascends, the apostles are just kind of, you know, standing there looking at the sky, and these angels essentially say, look, you've been given, you've been given a mission, you've got things to do, you need to go. Why are you standing looking up into the sky? But Jesus also says, don't do anything until you receive the Spirit. It feels kind of like a hurry up and wait situation. But it's important that they wait for the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to ensure continuity between Jesus' mission and the mission of the church. In John 14, Jesus is talking about this period after he's going to leave. And he says this, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So in the same way that Jesus guided and instructed his uh, followers while he was on earth, now the Spirit guides and instructs us in his absence or while he's on his throne. And the Spirit does that by illuminating to us the words of Christ, Scripture. You know, so often I think that we can resist being sent out in the world. We can resist God's call upon our life because we just don't really know what that looks like. But friends, this is good news because what we learn here is that we're not sent out alone. We're not sent out actually in our power at all. We're sent out in the power with the guidance and instruction of the Holy Spirit. So that means that all we really have to do is just open ourselves up to the Spirit's leading. You know, I I think a good way to practice this is through prayer. To say to God, God, I, I want to be sent out, but I just don't really know what that looks like. Would you reveal it to me through your Spirit? And so this is actually some homework that I want to give you this week. Every day of this week, from now until next Sunday, I want you to pray just that simple prayer. God, I'm, I want to be sent out. Would you reveal to me to your spirit how you're sending me? And then next Sunday, I want you to look back, and I want you to see what, how God has, has worked in those seven days. What are the ways in which he's opened up avenues for you to be sent out? to share the gospel with others. So, we're sent out in the power of the Spirit. The next thing I want you to see is that we're sent out to the ends of the earth. Now, it's obvious here in the text that the apostles don't really understand the extent of Jesus' mission. In verse 6, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they had a very narrow view of what Jesus was going to do. They thought he was going to kick out the Romans, install himself as king, and, and uh, install himself as king as kind of, and make Israel independent again. But notice how Jesus responds to them. He says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So whereas the apostles were minimizing Jesus' mission, here he is maximizing the scope of it. They said, are you going to return the kingdom to Israel? He says, I'm going to return the kingdom to every part of the world. And I'm going to do it through you. What he's saying here is that there's no place or no space that is off limits for his rule and reign. And so they, as his ambassadors, are going to help spread his kingdom through the ends of the earth. Now, I could very easily caveat all of this by saying, but that isn't really, I mean, but that doesn't really apply to us. He's not telling us we really have to go to the ends of the earth. I mean, where are ends of the earth? There's no such thing as an end of the earth. I could caveat all of that. And in one sense, it is true. I think that for most of us in here, God is likely calling us to be missionaries in the places and spaces that we already inhabit. Our families, our, uh, our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. That's true. But friends, 
if, even if he is calling you to that, it doesn't diminish his call upon you to extend the gospel through the ends of the earth. And so I want to give you three ways that I, three ways that I think that this could look like for you right now. The first is this. Pray for missionaries and for the global church. You know, so often when we think about mission work, when we think about spreading the gospel throughout the world, uh, we don't think about prayer because it seems inactive or it seems like it isn't doing much. But the opposite, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Prayer is the fuel for God's mission in the world. And so start there. Pray for missionaries and pray for the global church. And if you're looking and you're saying, I, you know, I just don't even know where to start with that, start with the missionaries that we support as a church. Uh, if, you, if you want to find those out, you can go to the website, um, go to the Serve tab. I'm trying to kind of like replay it in my head. Hit the Serve, kind of drop down, and then if you scroll down to the end of the page, there's a whole list of the ministry support partners that we support and all the foreign missionaries that we support. And actually, an even better thing to do is if you are um, signed up for our weekly email, you will periodically get updates from our ministry partners, especially those who are serving in foreign contexts. Use those as a guide for your prayer. Print them out, you know, post them on the fridge, and whenever you think about praying, use their prayer requests. Pray for missionaries in the global church. It's an incredible way that you can participate in the work of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Second, financially support missionaries. <laughs> Look, trust me, as someone who fundraised for both foreign missions and domestic missions, uh, that work cannot be done without your financial support. It just, it can't be. Now, if you're, a, if you're a member here and you tithe, 21% of your tithe goes back out to our ministry partners. So, you know, if you tithe, you're already doing that. But let me ask you to do this. Commit to giving above and beyond that. Because remember, God has called you to participate in this work of spreading his rule and reign throughout the ends of the earth. And you can do that by just simply giving to the people who are out in the field. It can be $5 a month. It can be $10 a month. Just go a little bit above and beyond what you're already giving in your tithe. Now again, if you don't know who to give that to, support the missionaries that we already support. I, pro I promise you, they would love for you to give them more money so they can focus on the work that God has called them to do. So pray for missionaries. Support them financially. Third, there's a third way that you can do this. Befriend internationals here in Richmond. You know, one of, the, one of the funny things about the time in which we live is that due, due to global, globalization, the proverbial ends of the earth have circled back around to our backyard. And if you don't believe me, uh, walk about 10 minutes that way and spend 30 minutes walking around VCU's campus. I promise you, that you will hear more languages spoken in that 30 minutes than you would if you were at a meeting of the United Nations. The world is here in our backyard. And I know that you come in contact with these people, 
Maybe you have coworkers who are internationals. Maybe you encounter them whenever you go out to a restaurant. Uh, the other day, I had a Pakistani Uber driver. We encounter these people all the time. What would it look like for us to actually make that next step to befriend them? And let me tell you, we act- you actually have a great opportunity to do this. Coming up, uh, well, I didn't actually think about this. The harvest party is a good, <laughs> invite them to the harvest party. Um, you could do that. Another thing that you can do is invite them to celebrate Thanksgiving with you. Whenever I, when I was, uh, when I lived in Russia and Romania, some of the, some of my most memorable times there was when I spent holidays with Russian and Romanian families, and they invited me in to their celebrations. I'll remember that uh, to this day. I remember one Romanian family, they were so kind, like, they heard that I was not going home to be with my family during Christmas, and that was just unconscionable to them. So they invited me over, and they actually gave me gifts. Like, they included me as a member of their family. And let me tell you what, Romanians celebrate Christmas until like 3 a.m. It was wild. <laughs> um, we didn't do that back in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, but it, these are some of my greatest memories. And I promise you that if you find an international and you say, Hey, I know that Thanksgiving's coming up. Have you ever celebrated, like, in a true American fashion with an American family? They will absolutely take you up on it. So how can you do that? How can you invite an international into your life and befriend them towards the end of sharing with them the hope that you have in the gospel? Three simple ways that you, even now, here in Richmond, can participate in God's global mission. Praying for missionaries, supporting them, and befriending the internationals that are here in our backyard. And who knows, as you do these things, God might just kindle within you the passion to be one of those foreign missionaries that we then pray for and support as a church. I've seen crazier things happen. Now, in closing, I actually want to return to Queen Elizabeth. You see, one of the reasons why she was so universally adored was because uh, she was the model of a benevolent and loving ruler. There's so many great uh, YouTube clips that have been uh, going around just showing um, just like the kind of funny, quirky side of her, but also her really profound side in which she showed she had a true sense of calling that she as a queen served not only God, but she truly served her people. And it's because of that that she was universally adored. Now, uh, because of the influences of things like secularism and pluralism, the idea of Christians being sent out to the world with the gospel has gotten a lot of pushback. How dare we go and tell other people what they should believe? How dare we push our beliefs on someone else? Well, friends, if we can admire the rule and reign of Queen Elizabeth, who would have been the first to admit that she was a flawed sinner in need of the grace of God, if we can look at her and admire her for her reign, how much more can we look longingly towards the reign and rule of King Jesus? The perfect king who so loved his kingdom, who so loved his creation, who so loved his world that he would die for them. When we're sent out to the world, we're sent out with the good news that there's a perfect, loving, 
gracious king who doesn't want to just call us his servants or his subjects, but wants us to call us his sons and daughters. That's the message that we take to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Christ you rule and reign as king. Uh, There is so much chaos in our hearts and in this world. We thank you that we can look um, to Jesus knowing that even now he is at work rolling back the curse of sin, extending the goodness of his kingdom to all uh, areas of our hearts in this world. But we thank you that you've given the promise that one day he'll return and he will be king forever and forever roll back the curse of the fall. Father, we pray now that you would help us to be your ambassadors. That even uh, that you, through your Spirit, would reveal to us the ways that you are sending us out to the world. Father, we pray that you would bring people into our lives who um, are internationals, that we might share the hope that we have of the gospel with them. And in so doing, uh, be obedient to the task that you've called us to, to share Uh, the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, we're weak to do this. We're flawed people, but Father, we know that we have your spirit. So we pray that through your spirit, you would empower us and send us out. You want us this all in Christ's name. Amen.